I'm David Porter, author of Five Minutes to Live. Just a few things to note about the podcast. First, if you want to purchase Five Minutes to Live, the link is in the description of the podcast, but can be purchased online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, and even at Walmart and Target online. I've also listed my Facebook and Twitter links. I'd love to hear from you, especially if you're enjoying the book. In this series, we're going to read through Five Minutes to Live, chapter by chapter, releasing a new chapter each week. If you didn't start with Episode 1, the prologue, please go back and start there. Please subscribe and hit the alert notification, whatever that looks like on your preferred podcast platform. That way you'll know when the new episodes are released. And if you're enjoying this journey, please, please, please share this podcast with your friends and family. Five Minutes to Live has a lot of footnotes for the research done and the Bible verses quoted. I'll post those footnotes in the description of each episode. Finally, I've got a new book on the way titled 60 Seconds of Silence that I am really excited about. Once that book is available, I'll go back and post that link in each episode's description as well. With that, thank you for being here. Let's get started. Chapter 2 I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I will trust. Surely He will deliver me from every trap and protect me from deadly disease. He shall cover me with His feathers, and under His wings I will trust. His faithful promises are my armor. I will not be afraid of the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day. I do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. A thousand shall fall at my side and ten thousand at my right hand, but it shall not come near me. I honestly didn't realize I was praying the 91st Psalm under my breath in a whisper. It was a habit that formed in childhood. From an early age, I knew that the Lord loved me and always wanted the best for me. I knew it. Even though I had never heard him say it directly to me, it was as real to me as the shirt on my back. Grabbing hold of his promises found in the Bible always brought me comfort. If there was something I needed now, in a high-speed car chase, comfort was it. Praying a 3,000-year-old text gave me peace, but it was the look on Omar's, ah, scratch that, Aaron's face that brought me back to the reality of the moment. Until now, nothing had phased Aaron. He was calm and cool from the moment Jessica and I first saw him. Even when he was shouting at me to get into the car he was stealing, Aaron was not panicked. He was not scared. He was not surprised. He was determined. But as I was rehearsing the 91st Psalm, Aaron gave me a look unlike anything I had seen from him tonight. What was it? Was it rage? Hatred? Shock? Surprise? I reasoned it away, thinking anyone hearing a scared and confused man in a tuxedo rehearsing Bible verses would have had that type of look on their face. Screeching tires and revving engines brought me back to the moment. I quickly realized that a high-speed car chase isn't like the movies make it out to be. When you're watching a movie, you can see the different angles. You know where the cars are at all times. You know if the lead car is turned. You know if the chase car is about to catch up. There is exciting music playing, and while your adrenaline might get pumping, 
it's just a movie, and you realize there's no real danger. In real life, with the adrenaline pumping, headlights blinding you, taillights distracting you, and streetlights flashing all around as you pass them at speed, chasing a Humvee is not easy to do. Especially when they have a considerable head start, it's dark, and they have a black vehicle. It's a lot like watching an ice hockey game in person for the first time. Most of your evening is spent trying to find the puck, and the closer you are to the ice, the harder it is to follow the game. Where'd they go? Where'd they go? I shouted at Aaron. He ignored me and turned a hard left in front of oncoming traffic. For the second time in a matter of minutes, headlights were heading directly for me. I screamed and covered my head. Aaron downshifted, and the white Camaro we were in rocketed forward as we narrowly avoided the collision. Maybe Aaron had chosen this vehicle with purpose. I was almost laughing with relief because we had safely made the turn when I heard a quick, chipping, plink, plink sound. Aaron ducked behind the steering wheel, getting as low as he could. He screamed, get down! And I heard another plink, get down! It took me a moment to realize those plink sounds were bullets slicing through the front windshield. I racked the seat all the way back and slammed my body into the mud-covered floorboard, getting real small, real quick. Another plink, and the headrest where my head had just been sitting puffed as a bullet tore through the black leather. White stuffing fabric exploded into the front and back seats. He truly delivered me from the terror by night and that arrow that was flying straight at my face. This whole time, I hadn't noticed that the Camaro we were in was a stick shift. But now that I was eye level with it, I sat in awe as Aaron drove. He was smooth as he weaved through traffic. A hard right turn slammed my face into the gear shifter and knocked the car into neutral. I heard the engine rev. Aaron shouted something in that other language, tires squealing in the distance. We were slowing down. Aaron grabbed the shifter and thrust it into fourth gear. The car shot forward. Poink, poink, poink. This is nothing like the movies. I can't hear the gunshots. The windshield and the back glass haven't exploded, blown out into little pieces everywhere. Aaron is way too calm. Don't freak out. Don't freak out. That's when I heard it. A thunderous boom. The car lurched, then went dead. We limped to a stop. It was then that things dawned on me. Whoever was in the Humvee wasn't necessarily trying to shoot us. The shots through the windshield were actually misses as they were trying to disable the engine. A large caliber bullet to our aluminum engine block had done the trick. The Camaro was dead in the water. Maybe Aaron hadn't chosen so wisely after all. Come on, we've got to go. Aaron was already moving out of the car and beginning to chase the Humvee on foot. I spilled out of the floorboard and onto the street. Traffic was heavy all around me. He ran 20 yards and stopped. Turning back to see if I was coming, Aaron shouted, Hurry up! Your friend is in danger! We can still stop them! An instant of paralysis. Thoughts ran through my head in a fraction of a second. Decision time. Fight or flight. Stay here and be safe or save Jessica and be the man. The Lord is by my side. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. I told her, you're not alone and you never will be.
I gave her my word. Instantly, I was at a full sprint, top speed. I could tell my speed and determination surprised Aaron. Within a half second, I had caught up to him, but I didn't know where we were going. I had been on the floorboard and didn't know which direction the Humvee had gone, so I had to slow down to allow Aaron to lead. Through here, he shouted, turning down an empty alleyway. We ran a city block and turned left onto a crowded street. The running was much more difficult here than it had been prior. People were milling around, sitting outside at sidewalk coffee shops, window shopping. The place was alive with people. Moms pushing babies in strollers, couples walking hand in hand, a living organism determined to prevent our rapid progress. Half a block later, Aaron screamed, This way! as he found another deserted alley for us to use. I was beginning to understand the direction we were going, but still didn't know why. If we don't find another car, there's no way we'll catch them, I shouted ahead to Aaron. He slowed down a beat as if considering what I had said. Then off he went again, full sprint towards something I couldn't see around the corner. By the time I reached the place where he had been, I saw the chain-link fence with Aaron dropping over it. He had used his suit jacket to protect him from the razor wire that ran along the top of the ten-foot fence. I was standing across the small street outside of the fence looking in at an airport runway. Aaron was already sprinting toward the hangars. How did he get up and over that fence so quickly? Who is this guy? I sprinted as hard as I could and with the energy I had left jumped onto the fence. I climbed as quickly as I possibly could something I hadn't done since I was a kid, and did my best not to slice myself open as I used Aaron's jacket for protection against the razor wire. How did he do this so quickly? Athletic isn't a strong enough word for the ease with which this guy moves. My feet hit the ground, but my energy was spent. My shaky legs wobbled unsteadily. It had been too long since I had run like this, and the adrenaline rush was wearing off. I ran as hard as I could, which was little more than a jog, until I saw the black Humvee in the far distance. Seeing the truck gave me one final energy boost. It slewed to a stop, big knobby wheels on loose gravel, and came to rest at the rear of a large cargo plane. The airplane's engines were already running, and the propellers were turning. I was so far away, but I could plainly see Jessica being hustled up the rear ramp of the airplane by two men dressed in black. She looked tiny against the mass of the hulking propeller plane, but she was unmistakable in her emerald green evening gown. A group of men followed them into the belly of the plane, and even before the ramp was up, the plane lurched forward. The wheels began their slow rotation. Time was running out. My eyes searched the darkness, and there in the distance I saw Aaron running full speed toward the airplane. Even though it was barely moving, and he was moving quickly through the freshly cut grass, I knew there was no way Aaron was going to cover the distance before the plane's wheels were off the ground. I think Aaron sensed it too. I watched as he pulled his gun, took a steady shooting position, feet shoulder width apart, left foot slightly in front of his right, and began firing in the direction of the airplane. It almost seemed like the whole action happened in slow motion. No! Stop! Quit! Stop it! I breathlessly shouted at him. I couldn't take the risk that he would injure Jessica. 
I was still a distance behind him, and he had emptied the clip before I made it to his position. I heard the gun click, click, click as he continued to pull the trigger. I summoned all of the strength I had left and pushed him in the back with both hands. You could have killed her! I screamed at the top of my lungs. Stumbling and then wheeling on the ball of his right foot, Aaron backhand slapped me with the hand that was holding the gun. He turned back again toward the airplane, seeing the wheels all lift off the ground. The blow dropped me to my backside. Landing with a thud in the damp evening grass, it knocked what little breath I had left out of me. Stunned and with blood pouring down my cheek, Aaron looked me directly in the eyes and said, Never touch me again. I would never do anything to harm her. I was aiming at the tires. I was trying to stop the plane from taking off. Never touch me again. Are we clear? It was a sharp rebuke, but I nodded in agreement. I wasn't about to do anything to get even further on his bad side. Aaron pulled a white handkerchief from his back pocket and tossed it at me. It hit me in the chest. Clean yourself up. It's going to be a long night, and you need to focus if you're going to be a part of it. I need you to be a part of it, and Jessica needs you to be a part of it. He turned to move away from me, then stopped. By the way, what's your name? Matt. Matt Davenport. Come on, Matt, Matt Davenport. We've got a lot to do in a short time to get it done. Aaron, who was already walking toward the hangars from where the airplane had taken off, pulled his cell phone from his pocket, dialed a number, and began speaking in that other language to someone, barking what I guess were new orders within just a few seconds. I stood up and dusted some freshly cut grass off my hands and my rear end. I didn't know if taking it to the cleaners could help my new tuxedo after this night. I was dirty from the floorboard of the car, and now I was covered in grass stains and blood from that unexpected slap. I didn't know if Aaron thought my name was actually Matt Matt, but at that moment, I wasn't about to correct him. I was catching my breath, following his slow pace. I'm dressed like James Bond, double O Davenport, playing pretend. This guy actually is James Bond. I waited until he clicked off the call and then stepped up beside him and asked, What do we do now and, and what's going on? Please tell me. Your friend, Dr. Adams, is in possession of some unbelievably valuable information. She doesn't realize what she has or how valuable it is. There are people, organizations, that will pay millions of dollars for the information. There are organizations that want to keep the information hidden, no matter what the cost. Even if that means taking your friend's life, what we do in the next few seconds, minutes, and hours will determine the course of human history and whether your friend lives or dies. I'll tell you more when we get airborne. Please hurry up. With that, he picked up his pace. I stopped and under my breath looking at the distant blinking lights of Jessica's now airborne cargo plane, I said, you're not alone, and I meant it. End of chapter two. If you're still here, thanks for sticking around. I hope you enjoyed that reading. 
If you want to purchase Five Minutes to Live, the link is in the description below, and you can find my Facebook and Twitter links there as well. Drop me a line. Please subscribe and hit the bell so you know when the next chapter is released, and if you're enjoying this, please share it with your friends and family. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. 